the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do every day here at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word is take your phone calls and answer Bible questions or life questions or pretty much anything on your heart. I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210 340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just push one button. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and you can email questions uh, as well, calvarysa.com. Questions at calvarysa.com. Hey, uh, Wednesday night, we got our Old Testament study. I'm going to do a little bit more than two chapters in Isaiah tonight, uh, chapter 45. I think I'm starting in verse 14 uh, through chapter 47. Not the most dynamic piece of scripture, but some really important lessons for us. And then, of course, uh, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. Um, ladies, it's a day we set aside especially for you. If you need any encouragement or have any questions for Paula, she will be here to take those questions. One more time, our phone number is 340-9585. Let me get to the questions that have been sent in. Uh, the first one comes from Matthew. He asked, does God hate sinners? Matthew, he doesn't. God loves sinners But sinners won't let God love them. God loves them, but they don't love him back. And so his presence, his blessing, all of that is sort of hidden from them because they don't have a relationship with God. I think, Matthew, one of the things that we have to remember, and uh, um, this sounds like you're a young um, questioner here, um, we too often in our culture think that saying no to somebody is being unloving. Or if you don't let me do what I want, you must hate me. 
Um, God loves you so much. He tells you what you can do and what you can't do. And the stuff that he tells you you can't do, he tells you that because it's not good for you to do. So no, God does not hate sinners. He loves them. In fact, he loves them so much that his son died for the sins of the whole world, saved and unsaved. And unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of people, most people, Matthew, who never get to have any benefit from the love of God. You know, there's a place in Genesis where God's word says, Paul quotes in Romans where it says, uh, um, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And it's not that God hated him, it's just that's Jewish comparison poetry. And, And he's saying relative to the way I can love Jacob, then it appears as though I hate Esau because Esau won't love me back. And that's what you need to remember. God loves everybody. He wants everybody to be saved. But he won't force himself on any of us. So Matthew, I hope that is clear. He loves everybody infinitely. So when he can't love them anymore, he just could love them differently if they became in the family. You know, if you would see a family going, uh, you're in a grocery store or something, and you see a family and you just walked up to them and started hugging them, they'd think, hey, that's weird. Um, but if you saw your family and you walked up and started hugging, there wouldn't be anything weird at all about that. God wants to, figuratively speaking, hug everybody, but it's just not possible when people keep him away. Good question, Matthew. Thank you. Here is an anonymous question. I'm not sure what he or she means. Is sex okay if you are separated from your spouse? Uh, the answer, Anonymous, is no. I think you know the answer is no. But but let me take this, because I'm not sure if you mean is sex okay with the spouse you're separated from, or is it okay to have sex with somebody else since you're going, you're, you're separated and, and likely headed for divorce? The answer is no. If you're single, uh, you're not married, sex outside of marriage is strictly forbidden. God says it's just something that we have to control ourselves over. So no, sex is not okay if you're not married, period. Now, I've had people in the past, Anonymous, who would come to me and say, well, we're separated. Is it okay if we get together, you know, and have sex sometimes because, you know, we all have needs? The answer to that question is no also. You know, people think, well, technically we're still married so we can do it, but, but your heart is so far from God I don't know why you would want to. I mean, your heart's far from God. That's why you want to. You give in to your flesh. But I understand, you know, if you wanted to have sex with somebody that, that you're separated from, but still legally married to, why wouldn't you try to be a good husband or a good wife? Why would you try to fix your marriage? That's what would please God. If you cared at all about what God would say, then that's what you would do. You know, Anonymous, in in, uh, this question always makes me sad because one of the things that the Holy Spirit is saying to me a lot, uh, especially as I'm doing messages and giving invitations, is that he wants people who call themselves Christians to have marriages that honor the Lord. It certainly doesn't honor the Lord if you just think, well, because we're still married, technically we can have sex. That's just flesh. And that can never please the Lord. 
So if you are unmarried, if your marriage isn't honoring God in the sense that that you're still together and trying to, to bless the Lord with your marriage, then having sex, becoming one with somebody, really has no value at all. The physical benefit I understand, but it's only for a moment, but it makes things worse and not better. So here's what I would say to you, Anonymous, whether you're a male or a female, if you are separated from your spouse, get right with God. Get right with God, and if you're unwilling to do that, then you shouldn't enjoy the benefits, the physical benefits of being married. Hope that helps. 340-9585, here is a question from... um, our mobile app, it says, Pastor On, I'm a 13-year-old Christian, and there's a lot of music my friends and I listen to. Is it okay to listen to secular songs with bad words or lyrics on them? And he says, and also, is it okay to watch movies that contain violence and swearing, even for adult Christians? I had a similar question to this last week. Um, uh, the, the answer, uh, as a 13-year-old is it's never okay to listen to secular songs that have bad language. Um, I may have said this in response to the other question last week, but um, uh, the gym we go to has this music going on in the background that's just awful all the time, and they've got it turned up so loud, and a lot of it is really filthy language. I'm just thinking, you know, they've got a sign at the gym that says, no swearing or cursing aloud in the gym, and then they bring it in through the radio, through the music that they play. So I just think that's one of the things um, that you need to, to, to give to the Lord. You know, there's a lot of secular music out there that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with listening to secular music. Nothing at all. But if, if there's good music out there that doesn't have foul language, why would you listen to music that had bad language in it? As a Christian, you simply shouldn't do that. Now, let me speak out of the other side of my mouth in response to your other question. Is it okay to watch movies that contain violence and swearing even for adult Christians? Um, you know, those these are matters of conscience. Romans 14.23 says anything not of sin is uh, anything not of faith is sin, rather. And I, I think if we are, are watching something that violates our conscience, we know we shouldn't be watching it. We know that that's the time to back away from it. Now, everything contains violence and swearing these days. I draw the line at God's name being taken in vain. Um, but, but you know, we're in this world and we're not going to be um, able to protect ourselves from it. And I think this is one of those things that if you're an adult, you can decide what's right for you, what's not right for you. But the moment something begins to violate your conscience, that's where we've got to draw the line. And I know it's hard, you know, Paula and I, we go to movies and and uh, we've had to walk out of a bunch of them because they took the Lord's name in vain. And you know, typically, not always, but typically, it's toward the middle of the end of the movie when the movie's really getting good and we have to make a decision to leave. And we want to know what happened to the movie because the movie was good. But you see, sometimes being obedient costs. So my answer would be... Um, that's something that you ought to talk to your parents about. Uh, if they're watching stuff that you don't think they ought to be watching, sit down and talk with them. But remember, there are things adults can do. This is the world we live in. Things that adults can do that kids 
are not able to do yet. And that's just the world that we live in. Having said that, it's never okay for the adults or parents in a home to live according to a double standard. So I hope that makes sense to you. I'm not sure it did. 340-9585. Here is a question from Ryan. He says, what's the lesson uh, to be learned from the story of the rich young ruler? Um, Ryan, I think the lesson there, and Jesus makes it pretty clear, it's hard for rich people to go to heaven because this 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 young man turned away from the things that he knew were true. He knew who Jesus was. He called him good teacher. Jesus stopped him right there. Why do you call me good? Jews believed that only God was good. So when this rich and ruler came up and addressed Jesus that way, he, he knew Jesus did that he was he recognized who Jesus was. And then the rich young ruler pretended to be okay when he knew he wasn't okay. And so Jesus finally put his finger right in the middle of his heart. Well, here's what you have to do. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had great wealth. And he made a choice at that moment, Ryan. He made a choice to, to walk away from God to pursue or to enjoy the things that he had in this world. But how can you enjoy them when you're sad? And I think the primary lesson is we have to be on guard in our hearts against coveting things more than we covet our time and our relationship with God. I'm doing a Bible study tonight, uh, Ryan, where um, um, Isaiah is talking about the difference between God and false idols, uh, idols that were made by, by the hands of men. And the contrast between them is such that the question begs, well, why would you make an idol? Why would you bow before an idol when the God who loves you with an infinite love is there to hold you, to take care of you? Now, the answer is because our idols don't tell us that we can't do what we want to do. God, of course, does. But the important thing to remember is that in the rich and ruler, he had an idol. The idol was his money. And that's what Jesus knew. So uh, I think be careful to guard your heart against anything in your heart that comes before Jesus in your life. Anything at all. We don't make little idols and bow down and worship to them anymore. Not the modern world that we live in. But we do set up idols in our heart. Hobbies, money, career, um, just sex. Uh, we, we set up all kinds of idols and we're unwilling to lay those idols down and bow only before God. So idolatry is different now than it was in Jesus' day, but make no mistake, idolatry is still around. So the lesson to be learned is priorities. Jesus first and only every single day. Here is a question from Laura. She says, I go to a small Bible study, it's not a church, where a woman uh, sometimes teaches. Is that okay since it isn't a church and the woman doesn't claim to be a pastor? Yeah, Laura, I think in a small Bible study, I think um, as long as the woman has the gift of teaching, 
I think that's perfectly okay. In a church, it doesn't say in a small Bible study or at home, in a church, um, Paul writes, the Holy Spirit writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. But that's not subjugating women. And and women are are just as gifted as teachers as men, sometimes more so. And uh, I've been to some small Bible studies where uh, whoever it was was teaching, whether it was a man or a woman, shouldn't be. And that was a problem. But when somebody has the gift of teaching and when somebody is there and their heart is right before God, I don't see any reason at all, Laura, why um, you should stop going to that Bible study uh, or why a woman uh, who isn't claiming to be a pastor and isn't claiming any authority in a small Bible study, um, uh, she is an effective member of the body of Christ with the gift to teach, and that's what she's doing. So uh, I believe that with all of my heart. Hope that helps. By the way, I've told you this many times before, but here at Calvary Chapel, we have so many women who are gifted to teach. And while they don't teach here on Sundays, they don't teach in the main Bible studies and congregations. Um, they, they teach women, they counsel women. Those are both just exercising the gift of teaching. Counseling, of course, brings in some other gifts, compassion and mercy, empathy kindness. Uh, But that's all it is, is teaching. And we have women who have demonstrated repeatedly that they have the ability to to teach. Here is an anonymous question. It starts out with, I'm not being cynical. Uh Oh, I'm not being cynical here, but want to know what your qualifications are for being a pastor and doing a show like this. Well, I'm going to take it your word that you're not being cynical. Um, my qualifications are simple. Um, God called me to teach. He gave me the gift to teach. Um, I think one of my gifts anonymous is being able to make difficult concepts simple and explain them. Um, I've been doing this for 24 years, the, the, the pastor part. Uh, and, um, God has been very generous in his blessings. Um, we've been doing this radio show now for nearly seven years, and um, people keep listening and people keep asking questions. So I, I guess those are my qualifications. If you mean what degrees do I have, I did go to Bible college, but but Bible college didn't do anything to help me learn more about the Bible. I was actually studying more before I went to Bible college than I was after. The Bible college uh, experience for me was more of God just humbling me, making sure that I knew that apart from him I could do nothing, and he demonstrated that over and over and over. And I think there's, um, um, in, in being a pastor for sure, and I, I, I think in doing a show like this, I think being humble is really important. You know, it's easy to enjoy um, when people flatter you, it's easy to enjoy when people say nice things or they approach you like you know what you're doing. Um, and you, you just want to make sure that Jesus gets all of the glory. So um, I, I do these things because I was called by God to do them. Um, the radio show is without question um, something that, that God created. We, we've been about to go off the air a bunch of times because of money. And he's always sustained us uh, at just the right time. Uh, and being a pastor, of course, is uh, 
um, a greater responsibility in the sense that there are people that God loves that he gives you the ability to care for. So uh, I hope that helps. Uh, I did have to be ordained. Um, that means other men recognized my calling, my gifting. And when they did that, um, I was um, officially uh, a pastor. So um, I, I tried teaching anonymous Bible study. As soon as I knew I was called to be a pastor, I, I just six months into being a Christian, and and I had no business at that point teaching anything. Um, hadn't put in the work yet. Certainly didn't have a lot of experience. And um, so I, again, I, I, I I'm not a big qualifications guy. The only qualification anybody needs is to be called by God, equipped by God, empowered by God to do the work that he's asked us to do. I hope that makes sense to you. I don't think I'm making a lot of sense today. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question for Terry. He says, I know we're supposed to be in church, but I got hurt badly by a church I once went to. How can I ever be comfortable in church again? Terry, I want you to listen to my answer and not take it personal, okay? Um, people that are hurt uh, and, and feel like they've been victimized um, often misunderstand what I'm about to say. Um, but whether or not you go to church has nothing to do with whether or not you're comfortable. God says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. You do that because he's God, and that's what he told you to do. And then you look for your comfort, not from people in a church, you look for your comfort from God. And this is a sentiment that I've heard over and over and over. Well, people treated me mean, or the church didn't give me a chance, or... Nobody would let me do what I wanted to do. And they get their feelings hurt, and they call that being victimized. Uh, and so they, they justify not going to church anymore, and that's just the worst possible thing that we could do. Again, we go to church regardless of our comfort level. We do it out of obedience. Jesus went to the cross obediently. He didn't go because he felt like it. In fact, we know he asked the Father not to go. He humbled himself, and that's what we need to do here. We need to stop being so sensitive. Because as servants of God, he was insulted, will be insulted. He was persecuted, will be persecuted. And so it really doesn't matter that you were hurt in the church. If a church failed you, and people fail at times, then find another church a church that you can plug into, a church that you can contribute to. But it's really important, this this excuse that we have, well, you know, I've heard this too, uh, Terry. Um, people say, um, unbelievers treat me better than Christians do. It doesn't matter. Jesus has always treated you with the utmost dignity and respect. He's poured out his love. He's given you gifts. He wants you to contribute to that body. And I think a lot of times when we find ourselves being uncomfortable, it's just a test from God to show us where our heart is. So that's how important it is. If you are not a part of a healthy church, if your gifts aren't being used to bless other people that God loves, people for whom he died, um, then you're being disobedient. You're, you're missing out. 
not only are you missing out, but others are missing out. Because as a body, the church needs you. They need your personality. They need your gifts. They need your your style, whatever it is. Uh, and if you're not there, the church is missing something. So Terry, please hear my heart on this, because this is so important. Don't let what's happened to you in the past cause you to run away from Jesus. And Jesus is in the church. He's in the middle of his bodies. And when you come to church, I tell people this at Calvary Chapel all the time, if you come to church, Jesus is here. Walk in the door and say, okay, Lord, show me somebody who's hurting. Show me somebody who needs prayer. Show me somebody that I can minister to. And in the process of doing that, not only will he give you pretty clear direction, but he will also abundantly bless you in the process. So get over how you feel. Go to the Lord and say, I'm here because you're here. How can I be used, Lord? Hope that helps, Terry. You know, I don't have time to take another question. Let me just say, I've never really understood the mind or the heart of a Christian who says, I've been hurt by church. I know it happens sometimes, but as servants, we get over it. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We're supposed to be dead people walking around. You know, you can kick a dead person. You can say terrible things to a dead person. They don't ever respond. As a Christian, our response to the people that mistreat us is to keep hot coals on their head. By that I mean keep doing kindness. Never grow weary of doing well. And if we understand that's our relationship to the Church of Jesus Christ, we'll be way ahead of the game and God will be able to pour out abundantly his gifts in and through your lives. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls at 340-9585 or toll free at 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes left. 340-9585. Kelly asks, uh, Pastor Ron, what resource do you recommend for studying the reliability of the New Testament documents? Um, Kelly, there's a really easy one. It's 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 not easy reading, uh, but it's it's a, a book called The New Testament Documents. Are they reliable? I love that. It's by my favorite commentator of all time, F. F. Bruce. That's the initials Frank Frank F. F. Bruce, and it's uh, it gets right to the point and and provides you with wonderful evidence. There's also a book by Lee Strobel, The Case for the Bible. Uh, there is a section in Josh McDowell's The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, it also is very scholarly work. Uh, so those are the ones that I would recommend uh, the most. If you want to start with something that's a little quicker and easier to read, uh, there are two little books by a man named Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E, uh, called Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe. 
and those will help you as well. Kelly, thank you for the question. Let's go to the phones and talk with Joe on line one. Joe, thanks for calling. You're the first today. You're on the air. Joe, are you there? Hi, Joe. Uh, I'm going to ask a question that I'm going to listen to you on the radio. Okay. Yes, uh, Hebrews 10.25. I hear a lot of churches use that. How come they leave out 10.24 before it? I'll answer the question. Thank you, Joe. Let me get to it right here. Hebrews 10.24. i got to get to the place. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Well, uh, I don't think there's anything in there that mitigates against verse 25. Um, church is the place that we encourage one another. Uh, we, we, we bless one another. And that's one of the reasons that, that we want to be in the church. Now, one of the things you have to remember, Joe, about Hebrews chapter 10, it's a warning against falling away from the Lord. And one of the reasons that people fall away is they remove themselves from fellowship where they can be encouraged by other people, where we can hear about love and good deeds, where we can use the gifts that God has given us. So uh, I don't know uh, why you would ask the question like the two verses weren't the same. Um, Verse 24 is the reason that we should not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we're, we're uh, Joe, you don't come to Calvary Chapel. Uh, there's more encouragement. I tell this to people all the time, new people that come to our church and want to be introduced to me. And uh, I'll just tell them, look, the best part about this church is the people that are all around you. So dig in. You know, don't don't be shy. Let them bless you, and you can be a blessing to them. And um, I mean, that happens in every healthy church every time they meet. Um, so, verse twenty four uh, is the reason that he tells us. Verse twenty five. There's no contradiction between those two things. Um, you know, in a church setting, uh, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians talks about the church and compares it to a human body. Um, you know, um, I, I, our human bodies have different parts, but every part has its own own use. Uh, if I have an itch, then I've got an arm, a finger that can scratch it. If, if I've got a, 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 a mouth, well, if I listen to people, then I'll know how to use my mouth. And, and in the church... Um, I think I think the real power from a church comes from the fellowship that happens, the fellowship that encourages, the fellowship that that exhorts. Exhortation is an important gift that so many churches are lacking. You know, the idea that we just come into church, we sit down and sit, makes no sense to me. Uh, we have a hard time. <laughs> you should see our announcer when he gets up to do the announcements, because we have about a five minute meet and greet time. And when he gets up, it's hard for him to stop the people from from fellowshipping, from encouraging one another. That's the whole point. And if we forsake the assembling together of the saints, Joe, 
then we're going to miss out on those things. So when you come to church, don't look for people to encourage you. You be an encourager. You be an exhorter. Don't wait for somebody to do it to you. You take the initiative. Let God's Spirit work through you. And what you're going to find is that there's a whole bunch of encouragement and exhortation that comes back at you through those people. I think sometimes, and it's hard to do here, we have a small building and lots and lots of people. And uh, our sanctuaries are, are mostly empty when the worship team starts the first song. And you can always tell when somebody comes in the church and they're sitting all by themselves, um, you can always tell that they're new. So what we try to do is we encourage our, no, we don't try to do it, we do it very well. We encourage our people, go introduce yourself. Stop talking to people that you always know and instead uh, go speak to somebody else. Go introduce yourself to them. And, and our job is to make those people who are off on their own Make them encouragers and exhorters. That's what happens in the Church of Jesus Christ. So the teaching of the Word goes on, the worship goes on, but the body is one body, people with different gifts. So I hope that answers your question. I'm not sure I understood the connection between the two. Here is a question from another anonymous question. Um, I want to ask if you've seen John MacArthur's YouTube video on Strange Fire. He's a he's critical there of Calvary Chapel, and I would like your response. Um, Anonymous, I don't really have a response to John MacArthur. I have seen uh, most of that. Um, um, you know, when people seem angry, um, I'm just not going to tune in for very long. John MacArthur is a very gifted teacher. The Lord has used him wonderfully. He's celebrating 50 years this year as the pastor of Grace Church. And I think that is an unbelievable achievement. Unfortunately, um, you know, John MacArthur, who was a friend of Pastor Chuck, who's the founder of Calvary Chapel, would never have said what he said while Pastor Chuck was alive. After Chuck died, he did that, and he he became... Um, very antagonistic toward anything that, that didn't fit his version of what church ought to look like and sound like. And um, his primary criticism against Calvary Chapel is that we make it way too casual. Uh, people don't dress up and there's no reverence. He wants the church to be quiet when people walk in reverence. And frankly, we're all about about people. Jesus is about people. We're all about people. And so, um, uh, other than that, I, I'm not going to be critical of John MacArthur um, like he was critical of Calvary Chapel. I just think he's wrong in this area. Uh, we think the gifts of the Spirit are for today, and he, he no longer does. Uh, and, and it's just a difference of style. Make no mistake, he's been a real blessing to a lot of people for a lot of years. Let's go to Austin now and talk with Mark on line one. Mark, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, uh, I, I go to a church that has home groups, and I guess my question was, might be similar to what you are talking about earlier. I'm kind of frustrated because I'm single in my 50s for whatever reason. It just worked out like that. Um, but they have, like, one home group for young singles, couples, another group for just couples only, 
it's like there's they narrow it down. There's only like literally like one home group. It seems that I you know am welcome to. That's kind of just different people, and it's just way out of the way from where I work, so I couldn't make any time. But I, I mean, it seems like to me, if you were trying to connect everybody in the body of the church, you would just make the home groups open to whoever you know could come. And I, I don't know. I'm kind of frustrated. I don't think it's a it's something necessarily to leave the church over. I just, I don't know what to think about it, and I can't really get connected because of it. And I was just, you're a pastor, curious what you think about that. Yeah, Mark, I agree with you a, a couple of things. One, I'm not a big fan of home groups, period. Um, you know, I, I've seen strong personalities, people without gifting, sort of take over and dominate home groups. And a lot of Christians, you know, we're quiet and we, we don't want like confrontation. Uh, and so when somebody takes a lead role or, or dominates with a, with a big personality, uh, I, I think in home groups, people get misled uh, Too too many home groups I've seen being led or the Bible being taught by people that didn't have the gift of teaching. And as a pastor, that terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. Now let me go to the bigger issue that, that uh, I, I could not agree with you more about. Um, I do not think we should have ministries in the church that exclude people uh, for any reason. Um, you know, I've for years, Mark, had people want to have singles groups or college and career groups. And, and, and my answer is, no, we've got the body of Christ. And, and what we do is, is um, um, we open the Bibles and whoever God brings, then, then we want to minister to them. And we want them to get connected with other people in the body. And we've never had any issues with that. Now, Mark, you live in Austin. I don't know what kind of church you go to. But I would suggest a couple of things. First, that you talk to your pastor about it. Let him know your feelings and your heart. And just say, you know what? I don't want to go to a over 50s group. Or I don't want to go to just a singles group. Um, um, explain to him that the traffic in Austin is insane. And it's too far away. Is there a home group that you could connect with that uh, is just representative of the body of Christ? And then his response uh, will tell you a lot about where his heart is toward the people. The second thing, and this is the, the most, I think, constructive thing, is because we don't have home groups here. What we tell people who are new or who are maybe a little bit shy and, and, and not prone to get involved in all of the fellowship that goes along, um, is we tell them, get involved in serving. Get involved in serving. When you're serving with a group, I'll give you just a couple of examples. We have a, a cleaning group here on Saturday mornings. And and there's new people that come occasionally to help. But it's been the same group of people for many, many years, and I couldn't keep them away from here. They have become great friends. They fellowship together outside the church. Their conversation is always godly. Uh, uh, when we come for Saturday morning prayer at 9.30, they're usually done with the cleaning, uh, but they're still hanging around. They're just talking and have good day, going out to breakfast together, some of them, and those kind of things. So get involved in a ministry. Uh, another one that we have is our usher ministry, and it's especially good for, for people that are a little bit shy because they're sort of forced to get outside their comfort zone. And our usher ministry, greeter ministry, is a ministry where there's probably a total of 50 people and and um, they do things together and they get to know one another and they're really able to connect. 
and uh, and and they make good friends and great contacts. It just serving with a group of people will 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 knit your hearts together in ways that nothing else will. But I cannot agree with you more, Mark, that this is just something that uh, uh, to, to separate groups by age or by gender or or by focus, I just don't think is rightly representing Jesus' heart as it relates to the body of Christ. Does that help, Mark? Yeah, I really appreciate that because I've been praying and really troubled by it. And, uh, and the church doesn't ever seem to grow. It's been like it is for like years and uh i mean but i don't ever hear anything that i could just say okay this is really messed up so i'm gonna leave but this thing in particular is like really bothering me i i agree with what you're saying like it just doesn't sit right in my spirit yep and and you know what mark sometimes you don't need a, 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 a doctrinal reason to leave the church i think sometimes if you're not being able to use your gifts if you're not connecting in fellowship with other believers, then then it's perfectly all right to go find another church, do a little bit of looking and and see uh, see what else is out there. But uh, um, if it's bothering you, and, and if the church isn't growing, and I'm not one who who believes that a, a successful church is a growing church, but you know when when people are being taught and when there's vibrant fellowship going on in the church, those people are going to leave church, go home, and tell other people about it. And they're going to bring other people with them. The next time, so the church grows. It's natural growth, just like the first century church grew organically. It wasn't like there were crusades or anything; just people were getting saved, and and they 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 really, really were devoted to the fellowship of believers. If your church isn't healthy in that sense, then maybe it's time to find another church. But uh, don't um, um, don't forget what I said about serving. If you serve with a group of people, ushers or greeters or cleaners or um, uh, children's teachers, if you serve with them, your hearts are connected with them in some of the greatest friendships and the long-lasting friendships. We've been here for 24 and a half years, and we've got people that have been doing some of the same ministries for most of those years, and they're doing it because they absolutely love it. And we're a very diverse church racially. We're very diverse economically. We're very diverse um, in, in terms of age, even years, people walking with the Lord, and uh, and and the fellowship is is just unbelievable. So, Mark, I'll be praying for you. Keep me posted if you would. Don't mind from time to time. Let me know how you're doing. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Mark. God bless you. Bye, bye. Fellowship matters a great, great deal. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Leo. What did Jesus mean by telling us to forsake our family for Him? How can we honor our family and forsake them at the same time? Leo, uh, this again is priorities. Uh, you remember the, the the time when Jesus said it that that should have the most impact. Uh, was when his mother and his brother and his sisters, and Jesus did have brothers and sisters, uh, when they came to get him to take control of him because they thought he was out of his mind. And somebody came to him and said, Teacher, your mother and your brother and your sisters are out there. They're asking for you. And Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? 
And then he pointed to the crowd and said, these who do the will of my father, they're my, my family. So what he's saying, Leo, is don't put your family before him. You know, there's a lot of people in families that, that don't want us to spend much time with God. They don't want to spend time around us when we're talking about him. And Jesus said, priorities matter. If, there's, if you love your family more than you love me, then you're in sin. So what he meant by forsaking wasn't just dumping them, but just letting them know that when you're around, you're going to honor Jesus Christ. And if your family says they don't want you to do that, tell them, well, then don't invite me to the get-togethers because I love Jesus. Where I go, he goes. Uh, it, it means if you're a father or your mother, and you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, but if they ask you to do something that is ungodly, because of your love for Jesus Christ, you can't do it. I've had family members get angry. I've had family members of other people get angry at me because of, of these kinds of teachings. But the idea is when, when a family comes up by and says, well, you put your church family ahead of us. Our response is, you're right, I do. Because that's where Jesus is. And I want you to be saved. I want you to come to church. And I love you, but... You can't ask me to leave Jesus at home if you are unwilling to forsake family just for the sake of keeping peace. And you're putting Jesus, like tucking away in a corner so that you don't offend anybody. Then Jesus is speaking to you. So we, we, we forsake our family by putting Jesus first. And it's in that way, Leo, that many people find their family really comes to faith in Jesus Christ. We always want to witness to our family, whether they want to hear it or not. Now, that doesn't mean you're constantly telling them you have to receive Jesus or you're going to hell. But but, but in your conversation, talk about what the Lord is doing. Talk about what's going on at church. If they don't want to hear it, then they're the ones who are making the choice to forsake you. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And so it's very important that we take a stand. Your family needs to know how important Jesus is to you. And if they can manipulate you and make you uh, put them first, then what does that say about your commitment to your faith? So, Leo, I hope that is clear to you. Here's a question from Debbie, in a statement, really. She says, I don't think it's fair for a good person to go to hell while a bad person gets to go to heaven just because they accepted Jesus. Your thoughts, please. Um, Debbie, you know, this is a hard one to understand. But the Bible says there are none good, no one who seeks God. Now, Debbie, they may be good by your standards. They may pay their bills. They may be nice people. Um, you know, they they may want the same things you want out of life and you get along well with them. But you see, they're sinners. They're sinners and their sins don't make them, just because they're lesser sins to you and to me, doesn't make them acceptable to Jesus. And I love the fact, I mean, I'm praying for people so often, Debbie, and I've got family members who are unsaved. I love the fact 
that somebody can give their heart to Jesus Christ on their deathbed. My dad got saved that way. My dad, and I'm saying this without disrespecting, my dad was a jerk. And yet, as he lay dying, he gave his heart to Jesus. I'm thrilled that happened. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. I want to emphasize that he was a thief, a common, ordinary thief. And Jesus was thrilled to invite him to heaven. These are really important things to understand, and what you think is fair doesn't matter because it's not fair for any of us to go to heaven. And I think, Debbie, when people ask the question the way you do, and I, I don't know you, so this is, is nothing personal about this, but, but, but usually these are people who think too highly of themselves. You may think you're a good person, but if you've lied, you're a liar. You may think you're a good person, but if you're having sex with somebody you're not married to, you're guilty of fornication. If you gossip about people, people that Jesus loves and died for. Then you're not a good person. You're better than some people, and Debbie, you're probably better than I am. But you see, that's the whole wonderful message about grace, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. And if we'll focus on how good God is to forgive us, to establish us in his family, though we don't deserve it, then our hearts will be changed and we'll want other undeserving people to go to heaven as well. For God so loved the world. It didn't say he only loved the nice people. He loved the world. And sometimes, Debbie, it's people who think they're better than other people. They're the hardest ones, the last ones to get saved. Sometimes, most of the time, in fact, they don't get saved because they don't think they need to be. I told our church this is past Sunday that everybody wants to be rescued from hell, but nobody wants to be rescued from their sins. And if you think you're a good person and somebody who's done horrible things gets saved and goes to heaven because they accepted Jesus, then the truth is you're a judgmental person. And God wants you to know he loves you and he'll forgive all of your sins as well. All sin separates us from God. So, Debbie, I hope that helps you understand a little bit. Don't hold on to this notion that some are better than others, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in the Greek, that's in the continuous present tense. It's literally for all continue, or, or who all have fallen continually short of the glory of God and continue continually to sin. So, Debbie, it's really, really important that you understand that. I hope that makes sense. Becky South just gave us a buzz. She's the one who I asked for prayer for yesterday. Was in uh, was I had an accident at home. Uh, Becky wants to say thank you for your prayers. Just bumps and bruises. Praise God. I'm fine in at home. The only broken thing, my glasses, and probably a little bit of her pride too. But she says, love you all. Thank you for your prayers. And I, too, want to thank you for your prayers for begging. You know, when we get those phone calls that somebody's been in an accident or had an accident, your heart just sinks. And Becky's doing fine. Thank you so much for your prayers. 
Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Remember, Paula will be live in studio tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. Um, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.